Good morning. My name is Tracy Dopes. I am the president and CEO of MCNC, and I thank you for joining us on MCNC's Community Connect. This is our first podcast where we'll talk to leaders and innovators regularly to discuss some of today's hottest technology topics and trends. Each episode is aimed to inspire fresh ideas and to have important conversations around technology's increasing role in economic development, digital equity and inclusion, broadband infrastructure, cybersecurity, and much, much more. Today, I'm joined by two fantastic guests um, and experts in the field of cybersecurity. Chris Beal, our Vice President of Security Initiatives and Chief Information Security Officer, and Douglas Holland, who is the Senior Solutions Engineer for Akamai. Thank you both for joining me this morning. Thanks, Tracy. It's a pleasure. Pleasure to be with you today. Thank you so much. Yes, thank you for being here. MCNC works with a lot of government, educational, healthcare, and nonprofit organizations in the state of North Carolina, providing networking, data center technologies, and cybersecurity services on a 4,000 plus mile broadband network called NCREN, or North Carolina Research and Education Network. As one of the nation's premier middle mile fiber networks, we know that cybersecurity issues exist and are ever evolving across the nation and across the world. So as we have this discussion, world events, particularly those in Russia and Ukraine are taking center stage. So my first question, and I'll ask uh, Douglas to answer and then Chris, is relative to these events specifically, what are we seeing in terms of cybersecurity? You know, it's it's interesting that, uh, that you asked that question because it's a little bit different than maybe we had expected it to. Um, I think by and large so far this war has been fought kind of very similarly as wars have been fought for decades now. Uh, there was just a, a report on the news this morning about how the Russians are using tactics that they've been using for decades now. And, and so cyber hasn't really been a big component of that. So, um, you know, while we, we still see, you know, quite a bit of, of um, cyber activity on the internet today, there hasn't really been a big uptick with relationship to the the conflict in, in, in Ukraine. So um, we did see, you know, the, the first day, uh, it looks like Viasat, which is a broadband provider for that region, uh, was attacked. And, and so there was some impact to uh, internet services in Ukraine. Um, but then, uh, you know, folks are, are fighting back. So uh, there's a anti-Russian organization that launched a, a cyber attack against, you know, uh, one of the railways in, in Belarus. But, you know, just kind of a little bit of, of tip for tat. I think we saw a couple of DDoS attacks against a couple of Russian or uh, Ukrainian um, banks. So uh, nothing really, you know, major. So, uh, so far, we haven't seen, you know, a big cyber component to the, to the conflict. Um, as things are ratcheting up, there's, you know, new uh, sanctions that are being imposed just, you know, within a half an hour before this call started. Um, so uh, as things progress and, uh, you know, Putin starts, you know, looking at the West as more of an adversary on there, there's no reason to believe that there wouldn't be a big uptick in, in cyber activity uh, in, the, in the coming days. 
Interesting. So just a, a quick comment. So you're saying that so far you're it's not uh, been as much of an uptick. It's been more of the same as it relates to Russian um, or cybersecurity attacks and uh, from Russia and Ukraine. Is it so, um, does it seem like it's so much more for us because of the news cycle? I think uh, I think that can be a big part of it. Yeah. So there's, uh, you know, a lot of, of things. So what I will say is, um, and, and part of what leads into that is there is a, a super increase. So everyone is hyper vigilant about uh, the possibility of these attacks. So it's really in the forefront of everybody's mind. And, and, and I think there was such a big expectation that uh, cyber would be a big part of this war. Um, you know, and, and, and so when you look at the, the data though, and we look and see what's happening across our platform with our customers, and then we look at some of our competitors and, uh, and their dashboards and, and, Really, just the the in, uh, the intel that's coming out of you know organizations like InfraGuard and things of that nature, we're really not seeing big spikes. You know, there's always you know a ton of cyber security activity going on on the internet on a daily basis, but we haven't seen a, a big spike in um, in attacks or uh, things of that nature due to this conflict. Understood, Chris. What's your perspective on this? Yeah, I think. Uh very similar to what Douglas has said. Um, we certainly have been hyper aware. Uh, we work very closely with a lot of uh, federal and state partners for intelligence sharing uh, and university partners across the country uh, here at MCNC. Uh, and so early on, there were certainly uh, a lot of, uh, there was a lot of great intelligence that was being shared about things that we might expect to see uh, and I think there was a lot of preparation uh, and increased visibility and monitoring uh, in preparation for possibly seeing those types of things. Um, but to this point, by and large, uh, here in North Carolina, um, I'm not aware of any major new uh, cyber threat activity that is directly attributable to uh, the conflict that is going on. Um, you know, we are in, in very close communication, as I said, with uh, agencies across the state and the country, um, and we continue to to be very vigilant uh, in expectation for potential DDoS attacks, for uh, potential ransomware or other types of attacks. Uh, but to this point, we really haven't seen uh, much of an uptick, um, which is uh, a good thing. Um, but I, I one thing that's on my mind as the CISO here at MCNC, uh, Douglas uh, referenced. Uh, one of the early attacks that we did see in Ukraine that was cyber related was uh, attempts to cut communications uh, and being a, uh, an organization that operates a communication network, that's obviously something that is top of mind for us in terms of uh, threat. And so we continue to be uh, very, very aware of, of paying attention to what's going on and, and um, have taken a lot of preparation steps to, to make sure that we are as protected as we can be. Thanks, Chris. So outside of the Russian-Ukraine issue, what about the issue of cybersecurity in general at the national level, Douglas? What are some of the major threats and concerns in general? So 
it's an ongoing kind of thing. And we did see, um, especially in the last year, year and a half, uh, quite a big spike in DDoS activities. So uh, a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, organizations are, are you know, being targeted from um, either, you know, extortion attempts or just, you know, wanting to, to disrupt services to things like financial and, and, and government agencies, you know, things of that nature. Uh, web application attacks uh, are um, always a, a threat. So, um, you know, people trying to attack web-facing uh, sites and applications either to, you know, exfiltrate data, deface sites, things of that nature um, has been, you know, on the rise. And then ransomware you know, is just one of those things that um, the folks are still making money doing that. And and so it's just not going to go away. And there was, um, you know, a little bit of an uptick on that uh, over the last year as well. Um, so th- those are really the, the things that we're seeing, you know, kind of across the board from a cybersecurity perspective is, you know, and, and ransomware is probably one of the more, you know, top of mind, um, you know, things where, because, you know, just about every organization is susceptible to a ransomware attack. And, and so there's really, you know, nothing's really off limits when it comes to uh, a ransomware attack, you know, DDoS attack, uh, you know, it could have mixed results and, and, you know, maybe it wouldn't be as um, financially uh, motivational for, you know, a DDoS attack against different, you know, depending on the, on the organization itself, but just about every organization, you know, if they got hit by a ransomware attack would be faced with the decision, do I pay the ransom or what do I do at this point? Um, because there are, you know, huge financial ramifications around that. Understood. So what's um, Akamai's response? What has it been as it relates to, to these issues that you're talking about? You know, and, and I hate to, to kind of say this, but it's almost, business as usual for Akamai, uh, you know, with the, with the conflict in Ukraine, you know, we've uh, obviously taken, you know, some steps to kind of up our game, if you will. So, you know, increase vigilance in our uh, knock and sock organizations. Uh, um, we've, you know, kind of, uh, decommissioned a lot of our edge uh, infrastructure on our CDN in, in, in the country of Russia, things like that. But, um, and from a, just an overall cybersecurity perspective, you know, we're always doing the things that we need to do to be prepared, making sure that our platforms have the capacity to be able to uh, absorb and deflect DDoS attacks and making sure that our threat signatures are as strong as they can be for web applications and um, you know, things like uh, our, our, our DNS uh, filtering protections, all of those, all of those types of things. So, um, as one of the leading cybersecurity providers in the country, we kind of have a big target on our back and we're, we're always fighting some kind of attack, you know, here or there, we're probably fighting some kind of DDoS attack or some kind of um, attack against our DNS infrastructure or something like that. It's probably going on right now. Um, it, it's just a never ending battle. So um, for us, it's, you know, make sure that we have the resources and, and the, the intel to be able to stay one step ahead of these things as they're happening. Well, and so I understand business as usual for Akamai, but what about in protecting your partners and clients? What's the Akamai's response? Yeah, so it's just a matter of being responsive to our customers' needs, making sure that, you know, we're doing things like reviewing their security posture, um, 
making sure that uh, we're being consultative with those organizations and making sure that they have, you know, all of the, the, the tools at their disposal to be able to, you know, help them fend off any attacks that might be, uh, you know, coming their way. Uh, so being able to, you know, kind of help uh, in looking at where they may be deficient or where they may be vulnerable in their uh, in their security posture. And, you know, even if it's something we can't help them with, if it's something we can kind of point out and kind of guide them, hey, this is something that you need to be you know, cognizant of, then, um, you know, it, it's all all in the spirit of making sure that our customers are as safe as they can be. Yes, and I, and I appreciate that um, approach. MCNC has a similar approach. You know, even if we can't help, we want to point you to the right resources so that you can get the help that you need. Because particularly in the U.S. and you know, North Carolina, we want everyone to be successful because we're citizens and we're residents of, um, of the nation and North Carolina in particular for us. Um, I was previously the state CIO and the deputy state CIO, and uh, I worked very, very closely with Maria Thompson, who was our enterprise security um, risk management officer. And when COVID started, I think we saw the biggest uptick in uh, ransomware attacks and, and breaches. Uh, in 2019, we saw 1,200 plus breaches in North Carolina, which was uh, the highest that it had ever been since it was being recorded, which was back in 2005. And interestingly enough, 50% of those breaches were email. And you know, that, that one is a really tough one because that's behavioral, that, that's the social engineering aspect of cybersecurity. And then we've seen at least uh, nine breaches in the education space in North Carolina, the K through 12 and colleges in the past year. And year over year since 2019, that number has gotten higher and higher. And so in 21, it was 2000 plus breaches that happened in North Carolina. And, and so we are seeing that uh, increase heavily. And I know from the government point of view, it was trying to figure out, okay, how do we help as many people as we can? And so we're state government, but there's local government who have their own uh, cybersecurity groups uh, and expertise. But we found out that we all had to come together in order to solve some of these issues and get people back. Um, on track, as well as the National Guard and, and, and others. So, Chris, um, let's shift a little bit to the state of North Carolina. What are some of the things we're seeing on the ground in terms of cybersecurity um, concerns in North Carolina, particularly you know, based on the stats that I just uh, talked about? What are the primary threats and issues facing the community that we serve in North Carolina? Well, as the network provider for that community, uh, we talked earlier about DDoS attacks. Um, that continues to be uh, a significant uh, area of uh, risk and concern and attack for, for us as the network provider. Um, several years ago, MCNC implemented a DDoS protection service that we operate 
uh, as part of the, the NCREN network uh, that automatically detects and mitigates uh, DDoS attacks on the network. Um, so I can tell you uh, that in uh, 2018, the 2018-2019 school year, uh, that was a significant jump in the number of attacks that we saw on the network. And in that school year, we saw uh, a little over 1,600 DDoS attacks on the network targeting uh, institutions on the NCREN network. Um, this past school year, 2020-2021, uh, uh, that number rose to almost 3,500 DDoS attacks. Um, so it is uh, a significant problem and a problem that is growing and continues to grow. Uh, the good news for our community is that because of MCNC's investment in that protection service, um, this is not a problem that they uh, have to deal with uh, very often anymore because of, uh, our service automatically uh, takes care of those attacks. Uh, so for many of those folks, this is a thing that used to be a big problem for them, and now they don't spend much time thinking about it. Um, so that's really good. Uh, yeah. That's what we want to do. MCNC's objective is to, to reduce the problem space uh, of things that the community has to worry about. Um, so DDoS is, is one that absolutely remains top of mind for us. Um, the other big one that uh, Douglas also mentioned, and we can echo that from what we see on the ground here in North Carolina, is ransomware. Um, there have yeah. been uh, a significant number of ransomware attacks that have targeted institutions that MCNC works with. Uh, and those attacks, um, in many cases, have been highly significant for the institutions that are involved. Um, in some cases, uh, you know, these are, are schools or education institutions that have had to take uh, entire networks offline for uh, multiple days. In some cases, um, in extreme cases for multiple weeks, um, while the entire network is being rebuilt uh, from the ground up. Um, so these are not uh, insignificant things. And those kind of disruptions, people might think, well, okay, so the, the network is down. Uh, what does that mean for a school? All right, these kids can still get receive instruction. Well, if you think about where we've been for the last two years, uh, a lot of that instruction has been remote and heavily reliant on network connectivity to facilitate the instruction. Uh, but even as students have moved back into the classroom physically, um, that online component of, of learning uh, has not gone away. Uh, testing that students do uh, at a state and national level is often uh, reliant on online uh, testing facilities. Um, instruction uh, now heavily in, is involved with accessing content uh, and videos and things like that that are online. Uh, so purely the instructional piece is, has a heavy reliance on uh, that connectivity being there. But you move outside of that and you think about telephone systems, you know, the ability for a school to call out or parents uh, or other folks to call into the school. That communication infrastructure is now primarily Internet based. Uh, so that that has to be there. Uh, you think about uh, student safety and school safety systems, video cameras, uh, monitoring, those kinds of things. They all rely on this network connectivity as well. Even uh, HVAC and, and uh, temperature control systems are all network controlled now. Uh, and so it's not simply a matter of being an inconvenience for these folks. When that network is down and unavailable and the systems are unavailable, uh, it genuinely means an inability to conduct business. Uh, and so that's it's highly impactful 
Uh, so ransomware is is absolutely one that is is top of mind for us here in North Carolina. Yeah, most certainly. Um, it's interesting when I was on the government um, side, uh, you know, a lot of these entities that experienced these attacks, you know, it, it was almost like we're government and we're here to help. And that's not what they wanted. And so now, you know, MCNC being uh, a trusted, reputable source, not that the government um, is not reputable, but I think um, those entities were more likely to trust MCNC um, than, than anyone else. And so uh, us having uh, the ability to uh, come in and help where we need to, I think is very welcome um, for a lot of our clients. Uh, can you speak to that a little bit in terms of those in terms of those types of responses that um, that you um, and MCNC are providing to some of that? Absolutely. So MCNC, as you referenced, has a very long history of being a trusted partner to the K through 20 education community in North Carolina. Uh, Multi decades worth of experience of not only providing uh, really high quality, high capacity. Uh, broadband and, and network connectivity services, but also uh, a long history of working directly with uh, these education institutions, providing consulting resources, uh, boots on the ground, if you will, uh, to help these folks with any number of technology challenges that uh, may come up, whether it's networking related or video uh, service related or um, you know, as wireless networking has grown, we have a, a group of folks who uh, provide expertise around site surveys and deployments and the network design. Um, but even as, as the, the schools have moved more to embrace cloud-based services, such as, uh, you know, the Microsoft 365 or the, uh, the Google Cloud, most schools are, are heavy in that. And we have uh, some of the best resources uh, that exist in the state of North Carolina that uh, are knowledgeable on configuration of those resources specifically to use in education. Um, and so we provide a lot of consulting resources in those areas as well. Um, so we have that long history of, of being that trusted partner working directly uh, with those folks. Um, and that has been really helpful um, in when those folks need help, uh, regardless of what it is, if it's related to something yeah. with their, their network infrastructure or their technology infrastructure, uh, we're usually one of the, the folks that ends up getting a call. Um, and it, we can't assist, as you said earlier, Tracy, in, in all cases, but um, you know, we do have very good relationships with all of these different groups across the state. And so part of our role is, is you know, convening uh, to bring the right people together at the right time to, to help folks solve problems. Um, so that, that's been a, a role that um, we have uh, embraced and are, and are happy to play and helping folks deal with cyber threats. Um, we have also uh, several years ago started providing uh, consulting services around cybersecurity to help folks uh, develop a uh, security uh, plan, a security program, uh, understand what resources they need, which thing, areas they need to focus on, uh, and provide assistance to them in building that plan and growing their maturity so that they can provide their own uh, security for their cyber assets. So that's been something we've been doing that's been really successful. Um, but I will say that one of the biggest challenges that we see with this community that we serve in North Carolina is uh, resource availability. Um, yes. I think 
you know, folks that work in the technology space, that work in the cybersecurity space, particularly understand that this is an area that talent is uh, in very high demand. Uh, and, you know, it's hard for folks in uh, those communities sometimes to attract and retain really good cybersecurity talent because the market is so hot uh, for that talent. Uh, and so, you know, having the people being able to keep the people there that that can focus on uh, cybersecurity issues for these institutions. Um, and the other piece of it is that oftentimes the really high quality cybersecurity tools um, are expensive to acquire and, and to maintain and run and get value out of. Uh, and so one of the things that we have heard quite often in communicating with our community is, I don't need another blinking light. I don't need another you know, yeah. fancy tool that's going to come in here and generate a whole bunch of alerts to tell me something's going on because I don't have the people to respond to those alerts. I have too many alerts already. Don't come in here and bring more alerts. Um, so th those are you know very acute challenges that we see in our community. And so as we've thought about how to address those challenges, um, we've kind of shifted our focus to uh, the development and operation of managed services so that the community can uh, take advantage of um, you know low cost access that we can help facilitate to very high quality uh, tools and capabilities, but we provide uh, the people resource that is required for them to truly take advantage of those uh, high quality capabilities. So that that's what we're working on now. Um, last year we launched something called Vital Cyber. Uh, which is the name that we have given to our cybersecurity practice here at MCNC. Uh, and we have a heavy focus right now on building out uh, our managed services capability uh, that includes a whole host of network and device-based managed services for cybersecurity to really, again, um, reduce the problem space. So take the cybersecurity problem that looks like this giant thing and make it uh, a lot smaller for those folks. We can't address every aspect of their cybersecurity issues. There are certain things that only they can do, but we can make the, the things that they have to do smaller. Uh, and that's really our objective with Vital Cyber. Thank you, Chris. Douglas, uh, let me ask you, particularly around the resource issue and you know the expertise is, is so hot, as Chris was mentioning. Are you seeing that at Akamai and some of your partners and clients? Oh, 100%. As Chris was mentioning, I was kind of nodding along. And, and um, you know, I work in our, our public sector group. So I talk to just state, local and education customers um, exclusively in my role at Akamai. So um, there has not been one customer yet that I've spoken with that says, oh, yeah, we're good. We've got plenty of money, plenty of resources to fund all the projects we need to do. We have plenty of folks that um, can handle all these uh, initiatives. You know, that, that's just not a conversation we have at state, local, and education customers. Uh, and, and so, uh, unfortunately, it's, it's that way all across uh, the country. So, seeing, um, you know, organizations that, that just don't have the, the resources to bring in and, and hire and retain good people. Um, you can bring in somebody that's, you know, maybe, you know, new uh, to the industry, somebody that's green and you get them trained up and you just get them to the point where they're really good and now can, you know, start providing value for your organization and, and, and do a good job for you. And now they realize, hey, I can go 
work for some you know big private sector customer and and, and make uh, you know considerably more money and you know have all the other you know accoutrements that that the public sector can't really provide. So uh, unfortunately, yeah, I do see that across you know coast to coast. So um, you know North Carolina is not alone in um, that uh, perspective. Yeah, and I think a, another part of it that's probably exacerbating the problem is with COVID and we're all remote, you can get a resource from anywhere. And so, you know, before you were really just competing with your local area in order to obtain resources. And now you can get one just about anywhere because very few people are working in the office. And now that we figured out we don't have to. That's kind of the new new way of operating. Then that makes it even more competitive, I think, for um, for, for public sector um, in particular. It was hard before, but uh, yeah, I, I think I agree with you. I think it's worse now. Um, when I came to MCNC, I was really really proud of the work that Chris and his team was doing, and I had seen his um, the roadmap of a couple of years before I got here and it looked really impressive. And I remember thinking at the time, ah, that, that seems daunting. I don't know how they would be able to do something like that and, and all the things that they wanted to do. And I think I even mentioned to Chris and the former CIO, this is aggressive. I think that was the term I used, meaning wow, I don't know how you're going to do all that. <laughs> so, you know, coming here now and just seeing the work that everyone does here at MCNC and partners like um, Akamai all coming together to create um, this community that um, our clients can come to for the assistance that they need around cybersecurity. And that's continuing to grow through our vital cyber um security practice, which very excited about. I do want to say, Chris, I think maybe the first month I got here, you mentioned the phrase, I don't need another blinking light. And I need that to be a t-shirt or, or a hat or something. Because when you first said it, I was thinking, ah, um, the, that, that's, that's kind of rough. But as time went on, I understood that that's very true. Yeah, you could throw tools at it, but you really need the consultation piece of it to make it viable, to make it mean something. And so very proud of the work that MCNC is doing in that space. Um, so as, as we wind down a little bit, what are some specific things that organizations should be focusing on or some tips that you might be able to, to provide, be it private sector or public sector? Um, I'll start with you, Douglas. Yeah, if, if we're talking about, you know, kind of the things that we've been talking about, um, you know, in the last few minutes, and, and we specifically, you know, mentioned ransomware as like a big kind of uh, issue with uh, with most of organizations, whether they be public sector or private sector. So um, having good um, hygiene in that area can, can really help. So using things like uh, most of the member organizations at MCNC are, are using uh, a DNS filtering um, 
kind of protection. So if uh, somebody accidentally clicks on that phishing link, you know, now we're blocking that communication with the, the phishing site and, and, and kind of trying to head off that, um, that breach right at, at its very inception. So um, the cool part about that is, you know, we've got special protections put in place to detect zero day phishing attacks, things like that. Uh, phishing is the number one attack vector for ransomware. So the initial effect, uh, initial infections are typically starting with somebody clicking on a phishing link. And, and it's been um, unfortunately very, you know, easy for folks to, to, to do that kind of attack. So, um, so training, and then, you know, having, you know, protections like uh, DNS filtering and a secure web gateway kind of posture can help with that. Other things you can do are look at the way applications are accessed. Uh, you know, Chris mentioned that you know we're all kind of working remote now, and it, it's a different landscape. And so now having a more remote workforce means that we really have to look at the way that we're provisioning access for the the, the resources that people need to do their jobs. So these are mission critical resources that people need, you know, to to live their lives on a daily basis. So we need to make sure that the access to those is is as secure as it can be. So rethinking things like VPNs and maybe, you know, taking more of a zero trust approach to only present the application and just give folks access to the applications they need, um, kind of limiting, uh, you know, network access. And then, uh, you know, tools like multi-factor authentication are, you know, kind of becoming table stakes in, in that whole uh, and then the final thing that I would mention as you know, maybe a tip is to start looking at things like uh, segmentation or micro segmentation in your network, kind of, con you know, trying to contain that blast radius, if you will. So if uh, so, uh, an attacker is successful at getting a foothold into your network, they can gain uh, maybe access to a server or a workstation kind of containing that blast, blast radius and keeping them from moving laterally east west within your network that's a, a great thing to have to really um, help improve your security posture. Thank you. Oh, I just need to follow up really quickly on the social engineering aspect of this. Um, have we seen any advancements there? I know we can protect um, utilizing tools and services, but is social the social engineering part of it where people are clicking on e emails, has that risk gone down because of all of these new solutions or is that yeah. still something that requires training and more training plus also training it does <laughs> and, and and you can have training and, and so training is helping and we've talked to some organizations where they've used a service like no before or something like that and they've and they've dramatically you know decreased the the amount of, of times people are clicking on that stuff but the the point is it's still working so that's why it's still the number one uh kind of attack vector so uh social engineering you kind of brought up uh an interesting point because it's not always necessarily phishing too. So if we look back at the the Twitter hack, uh, you know, several months ago, that was just social engineering at its finest. That was people calling up uh, Twitter employees and saying, "Hey, we're with the help desk. I understand you're having a problem with your VPN." They were having problems with their VPN, so people didn't think anything about it, and so the attacker were were able to. Um, have them, you know, log into, you know, fake sites and put in their credentials and then even put in uh, a, a, an MFA pushback to their smart device. So uh, the attacker was generating that on their behalf. So, but since they were, you know, 
in pro in working with that uh, attacker to uh, access the system, they they expected that uh, multi-factor authentication push. So they just hit accept, and it gave that attacker um, access to that system. So even things like multi-factor authentication are not foolproof. Um, so having uh, you know. Uh, multi-factor authentication service that's using FIDO2 standards, let's say, that can take that kind of uh, vulnerability of multi-factor authentication away, making it kind of a, a fish-proof push, if you will. Um, things of that nature can can really be uh, of value. Wow. But yeah, the, the social engineering is, um, I, I think it's, it's 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 not only not going away but it's accelerating and with people working remotely and now you got you know somebody working out of their house and they don't really have that you know kind of safety net of the office and the office network in place um you know that it's just you know kind of opened up that attack vector to a whole new audience yeah tracy it's it's all there's always an arms race happening here we see Attackers are successful at compromising credentials. So then MFA was introduced as a way to kind of mitigate that. And as Douglas alluded to, it is now table stakes. We collectively have been relatively successful over the last four or five years and getting MFA deployed in lots of places where it needs to be. So it's gotten harder for attackers. We've raised the bar. And so now they're upping their game on how to work around uh, you know, the, the increased protections. And so it will continue to be a cycle. But the good news for us is that we continue to, to raise the bar. And as long as we do that, we make it harder and more expensive for the attackers. And so um, ultimately, that's, that's what we're trying to do here. And that's yeah. the key is making it expensive for uh, for the miscreants, you know, so that they're going to just stop. All right. Hey, this is too much work. It's costing me too much money, whether it be, you know, cloud resources or whatever the case may be. Um, I, I'm going to I'm going to, you know, step aside from this one and go uh, go down the road and find somebody else that um, is an easier target. So you know, the, the costs associated with that attack, if you can up the the difficulty and the uh, the cost per attack for the attacker, then you're starting to win the battle. Wow, wow. So Chris, can you also speak to um, what organizations should be focusing on and, and tips? I know we provide a lot of that information already um, to our community, but are there additional tips that um, they should consider. I know know before is something that we used at the state from a training perspective and found that to be very, um, very helpful. We that um, increased compliance and reduced risk at the state level. Uh, Chris, what's your thoughts on that and, and social engineering deterrence, I sure. guess? So I think just collectively, um, Douglas said the word uh, earlier, and, and that's the key word for me is hygiene. Um, yeah. you know, that is the foundation of strong cybersecurity and being able to protect your environment and make it resilient. Um, and the foundation of that good hygiene does not come from the latest next-gen AI you know, high-tech cybersecurity thing. Those things can be important and have a place, um, but those things will not protect you if you're not doing the basic things right. And so uh, in the same way uh, that we talk about um, 
human health and, and hygiene related to that. There's a whole host of things we do. We, you know, wash our hands, we brush our teeth, we get good sleep, we exercise and eat well. These are basic things. Um, if, if we do those things, that doesn't guarantee that we will never get sick, right? Most reasonable people don't think if I do all these things that I will never get sick. What it does is two very important things. Number one, it decreases the likelihood that we will get sick, but it also uh, makes it so that when inevitably we do get sick, uh, it's not a catastrophe. We are in uh, good health. And so the recovery from that sickness uh, is much better than it would be if we were in poor health. It's the same thing in the cybersecurity world, right? If we practice this basic cyber hygiene and doing that does not mean that we will never have a security incident. But if we're practicing that basic hygiene uh, well, it decreases the likelihood that we will have an incident in the first place. And then it also makes it so that when the inevitable incident does happen, that we can recover quickly, that it's an inconvenience and not a disaster. Uh, and so that basic hygiene is things like patching your systems, installing security updates, uh, proactively looking across your cyber assets for vulnerabilities. So looking for the same things that the attackers are looking for and hopefully finding them yourself before the attackers do so that you can fix them. Um, that's really important. Backups, uh, backing up your data so that you know when a ransomware event does happen on a system that you have data that you can recover from. Um, you know, the multi-factor authentication that, that Douglas talked about, that, that's part of basic hygiene uh, now. So just it's these basic things. Now I say basic, um, that doesn't mean they're easy, right? It, it's, it's simple to sit here and say, oh, well, just patch your systems. But anyone who works in a you know, large enterprise IT environment knows that that can be really challenging to do well on a regular basis. So it's not that it's a simple thing to do. Um, it can be quite challenging, but it is basic. It, you have to do it. And if you're not doing those basics, then again, the, the next gen AI, whatever, is not going to save you uh, from the cyber attack. So that's the thing I would want to convey to folks is that uh, focus on figuring out how to do that basic stuff well. And the unfortunate reality of that is that that is really unglamorous work. It is often tedious and it never stops, right? The security patches come out all the time, right? Vulnerabilities appear all the time. You have to be, it's continuous. You have to stay vigilant on it. Um, so it's, it's, it's dirty, it's gritty, um, but that is the key. That is how you're going to get a strong cybersecurity posture and maintain it uh, over time. So that's the big thing that I would want to convey to folks as a takeaway is to focus on that basic stuff. And that analogy is spot on. You know, you you shower every day, and you, you know, ensure that you remain healthy, and so your environment uh, needs to uh, have that same should have that same approach to your environment. Hadn't thought about it that way, but it's a very very good point. Um, what's the call to action on this, Chris? Yeah, so there are a number of. Uh, really excellent resources to help you get started with this basic cyber hygiene. For folks that aren't familiar with it, I would probably point you to um, the Center for Internet Security, CIS. Uh, and I think it's cissecurity.org is the website. Um, 
they have a number of really excellent um, guides that folks can download. They have a whole uh, security controls framework that's uh, structured in a digestible manner where you can start with the basic things and then build and build uh, as, as you uh, improve your maturity. Um, so that, that's a really good place uh, to start um, in terms of, of uh, you know, controls, aside from getting a handle on the, the patching, um, I, uh, patching and, and vulnerability management, those are, are essential uh, as well as backups. Um, because of the threat of ransomware, you these days need a really effective um, endpoint protection solution. Uh, so uh, EDR is the term that you will hear used in the industry, uh, endpoint detection and response. Uh, so notice that it's not just, we used to talk about antivirus, right? You need something that can protect your machine from viruses. And then that's kind of morphed to not just viruses, but malware. Now it's beyond that. It's, it's detect and response. So it's not just protection, but it's also monitoring and visibility and, and the ability to uh, do what's called threat hunting across your endpoints and find those things that people need to pay attention to and correct. Uh, so that I think is a really important base component from a tools capability. Um, Douglas mentioned DNS filtering. I'm a huge advocate for DNS filtering because it is really high value. Um, it is low cost to get into from an acquisition standpoint. It is really low cost to maintain uh, over time. So it's not something that requires a big investment of people uh, once it's up and running. Um, it, it just runs and provides protection. Uh, and it's it's can be deployed really simply. So that is an area, if you're not doing DNS filtering, um, go do that. Go, go look at that right away. <laughs> I think it's super high value because of the, the low cost and um, high protection capability and visibility that you get. Um, so those are some things I would kind of throw out there to, uh, to pay attention to. So this has been an incredibly rich conversation. And uh, I love having these conversations with cybersecurity experts uh, because I learn something new every time. And so hopefully our audience um, will feel the same way uh, that they uh, have learned something. I want to thank uh, both of you for taking the time with me on our inaugural uh, first podcast <laughs> for MCNC. Uh, I think it was some really great conversation. Would either of you have any final thoughts? I know we, we really talked about a lot here today, but just want to throw that out. You got anything, Douglas? No, I think I've, I've said my piece. You've probably heard enough of me for today, but uh, I, I do want to thank you for uh, um, the opportunity to be on your uh, show today. Uh, I had a lot of fun and, and I really enjoyed the conversation as well. Thanks, Douglas. Um, Tracy, I would say cybersecurity can be pretty daunting. It can often feel like, I don't even know where to get started. This problem is too big. All these challenges that you talked about earlier um, are just too much. So I always like to talk to folks about this is really important work. We talked earlier about how everything that happens in the world relies on this cyber infrastructure today. And when that cyber infrastructure is unavailable, um, it's, it's not an IT problem. It's a business problem. It's a problem of you, you being able to conduct just the basics of your, why your organization exists. So 
it, the importance is super high. You have to be able to protect these cyber assets uh, in order to, to deliver on your, your mission as an organization. Um, so because that's the case, it, it, you have to pay attention to this stuff. So it can feel daunting, but I want folks to understand that it is doable. You can't do it all in one day, but my advice is to get started. Find a trusted partner if you're not sure how to get started on your own. You know, go out and, and check out the CIS stuff. It You won't do it all in one day, but you need to get started. Um, there's a um, proverb that we like to throw around here that says the, the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. The <laughs> second best time is now. Uh, and so that's the message that that I always give to folks about this is, is don't feel like it's too daunting. You can always do something to get started and improve. And the hardest part often is taking that first step. Um, but I always like to encourage folks that it's a step worth taking. And, and uh, if you're in North Carolina and part of MCNC's community um, and aren't talking to us today, please reach out. Um, we would love to, to help you get started on that journey and, and make you more secure. Excellent. Great final thoughts. And for the listeners, thank you for joining us on MCNC Community Connect. We hope you've enjoyed this conversation. We look forward to our next discussion featuring technology leaders and innovators across North Carolina and the nation. So you can listen to Community Connect on www.mcnc.org. Thank you.